Today, I want to talk to you about how the SOA ministry uh, came about. And um, basically, obviously, like I said in the last podcast, we know that we have to plant seeds of hope. We cannot, of ourselves, help somebody to become reborn, saved, have a deeper relationship, whatever you want to call it, by our own power. It's all done through the power of the Spirit. So, the, uh, the impetus for this whole thing came from the uh, parable of the sower, which I'm sure and hopefully most of you are accustomed with uh, Matthew thirteen three, so I would like to go through the parable with you today, and giving it somewhat of a uh, modern take, um, and uh, hopefully it'll be helpful to you guys. So it starts off: a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now the question is, what is the seed? And the seed, as you may well know, is the Word of God. And, you know, the Word of God is recorded in Scripture. So, you know, you may be the only Bible that anybody sees. And so it's your responsibility to live in the life and be an example of who you were created to be and bring that light into the world because you are familiar with the sower's seed, which is the word of God. So it goes on to say, As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go hiking in the hills, um, and you know, obviously, I I follow the path or the trail in you know some national park. The soil is always hard, and the reason it's hard is because it's compacted. People, hundreds, maybe thousands of people, have walked on the same trail, which has forged it out of the landscape, basically. So it's hard. Nothing penetrates it. So, if the seed is scattered on the path, the Word of God, which, which is there in human terms then, so you basically deny it. You're not ready to accept it. You're in a state of what they call pre-contemplation. You really don't have any incline to start surrendering. And um, it's hard to break through. Very little grows on the path. Maybe some weeds that pop up. You'll see a few dandelions and that. 
But you know what? The real plants, the indigenous plants in the area, don't grow on the path because they can't break through. And, of course, any seeds that are left exposed on the hard path, the birds come and eat up. And the birds being our society. You know, if you're there and you're going through some times and, you know, the Word of God isn't there for you, hasn't been planted, then, you know, just our general everyday life will impede you in your spiritual growth. So you've got to, you know, plant it in good soil so that the birds of the air, the world, doesn't get to it and disrupt it so that you can't abide by it. And then it says, Some fell on the rocky places. Now, I don't know about you, but... um, I liked the garden, and I never used to like gardening before until I uh, um, wanted to grow in my spiritual um, path after I had been saved in rehab, and because it's very, very useful to be mindful of plants and to take care and to nurture plants. Because basically, that's an analogy for God, for you. He wants to take care of you. Okay? So, but if you go out into your garden, and you plant all these beautiful little plants, okay? And then you watch them grow, you water them. And there's some plants that just shoot up really fast. And then the other ones besides them are taking their time to grow. Okay? So, it says here in the parable where some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. So, if you've ever planted something in your garden and you see this thing shoot up, okay? Plants have a, a root that they call the tap root, which goes down in the soil to try and find the moist soil or the nutrients which are below the surface. So they spend their time, after you've planted them, establishing this taproot, which is, you know, an, a, uh, an illustration of what we should be doing with the Word of God. We should be going deeper. We should be taking our time to grow. We don't want to go out there and start impressing upon everybody how, yay, we're saved, and you go talk to family members and tell them they need to be saved. No, because you know what? They're not ready. And the only way, once again I will say, that you will be an example is by your actions. So, Getting back to the parable. So these plants that have grown up real quick have grown on the rock. 
So they haven't taproot, haven't gone down deep enough. And so when the sun comes up, guess what happens? The soil that they're in isn't very deep because there's maybe a rock left over from something in your garden that these roots are hitting, and they'll only go down so far. But when the sun comes up, they wither because they don't have enough soil. Their roots haven't gone down. So, that is the way that it works if you have, if you're not developing your relationship with the lover of your soul. The next part of the parable says that other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Now, you know, having this engaged in this new form of life, okay, a lot of people go back to their own way of thinking. Yeah, it's great that I, you know, had this um, moment of clarity, but you know what? I'm going to go back and do things my old way. And sooner or later you start drifting once again into self-reliance and self-will and maybe some destructive habits. You know, maybe if you have an alcohol problem, you say, ah, you know what, I haven't had a drink for 30 days. Maybe I'll go and see Bill, my old friend at the bar. Is that a smart thing to do? I don't think so. Because his brain is going to tell him that, you know what, remember the good old days, Bill? Well, you know what, when we used to have a drink and everything was fun and fine, but those days are over for him. Those days of self-destructive behaviors I've left behind. And it's the same thing with the Word of God that falls on you. Going back to your old self, a lot of people fall by the wayside. They have these spiritual moments. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the story of people who have been involved in severe car wrecks and they've cried out that prayer that so many of us do. Oh Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll truly believe. And then, after the tow truck has come and got them out and they've gone to the hospital and been patched up, you know what? They forget about that promise. Oh, boy. You know, even though God was there to save them, because he is saving them for his purpose, to do something which they have no clue what, but they need to follow. And um, how quickly these people forget. They're just like the Israelites. And uh, for those of you who don't um, know scripture, I'll give you a brief example of one of my favorite passages. And it's when uh, Joshua, who was a, uh, one of the spies that went into the promised land, 
with Gideon and came back and told Moses that yes, we could go in there and we could take it. He was one of the only surviving people when the Israelites were walked around the desert for 40 years because of their unfaithfulness. And when the time was ready, Joshua, who was now the leader, was given the time to go into the promised land. So as he was crossing the River Jordan, the River Jordan, it says, and there's always these little, little verses that don't seem to mean so much until you get a, you know, you go deep and look at the meaning. Why was it put in there? Whilst the river was in flood, it was harvest time, the river was in flood. So it wasn't like God let them walk across the Jordan when it was just a trickle, when it had dried up, when there was no rain. He made sure that the river was in flood to test their faith. So it was only when they stepped into the river that the waters were separated. And God spoke to Joshua and said, Tell the priests to pick up one stone, twelve stones from the middle of the river and put them on the other side to remind them of my presence and what I had done for them. And those little altars, because how soon we forget what God has done in our lives before, or haven't even acknowledged. But I am suggesting to you that you look back over your life and you look at some times where God has interceded for you and maybe you've forgotten about it. And you need to create these little anchors emotional anchors. You know, if God was there in the past and he's here with me now and he's there in the future as he promises to be, then what am I worrying about? What am I... Why am I getting so, so anxious over nothing? Because your faith has become weak or you're fearful. Now, can faith and fear coexist? Yes, they can, in my opinion. But it's kind of like being on a seesaw. When your faith is great, your unbelief or your fear is down on the low side. But when you let fear start ruling your thinking, your faith goes down to the low side of the seesaw. So it's a balancing act. And you, you have the responsibility to choose which one you're going to live by. Are you going to live by faith or are you going to live by fear? And that's why you need to create these emotional anchors in your life. Now, the last part of the, uh, of the parable says that still other seed fell on the good soil where it produced a crop of a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. 
the good seed. So, you know, you're preparing, or God is preparing you for when the time is right, He's going to plant that seed and it's going to be fertile. This I can promise you from my own experience. Okay? And we need to tend the soil to be ready for that good seed to land on us. Start, you know, I mean, who doesn't want, if you were investing, who doesn't want a hundred or sixty or thirty times what they invested? Those are huge returns. You know, the stock market on average over a period of time will give you a 10% return. 10%. God is promising you 160 or 30 times your investment because you will start to live a life filled with faith, hope, joy, and love. Imagine that for a minute. All of your troubles, they'll still be there, but you'll have a way of handling them that you never thought possible. Now, for many of you, you know, you're being chased. And there's a great poem called The Hound of Heaven. It was written by Francis Thomas Thompson, back in the 18th century, I believe, or early 19th century, who was a uh, doctor. Um, his father was a doctor, and um, he wanted to become a poet. So he went off and left, just like the prodigal son, left his father and went out onto the streets of London to pursue his poetry. And, um, and literature, which was what he thought was his calling. But he got caught up in opium, and the, he got addicted to opium. And in The Hound of Heaven is basically this short poem. You know, if you want, I suggest that maybe you go to YouTube and um, check out The Hound of Heaven, and it's narrated by Richard Burton. And just listen to it. It's a wonderful allegory of the way that God chases you. Because you're special. I don't know if you know that, but you're special. Whatever your perception is right now, which we kind of talked about in our last talk, okay, there may have been a lot of things that happened in your life for you to consider yourself terminally unique. But you're not. You're special. You were created for something by somebody who loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. That's why you were created. He breathed life into you. He breathed his spirit into you. So this book, The Hound of Heaven, the hound obviously is God, who chased him down the streets and finally caught him. Because there's only so much running you can do 
until you have to stop and you have to understand that you're at your wit's end. You are down to rock bottom. And that's where the beginning of a lot of our faiths can start. <clears throat> I'm going to quote you something now because, you know what, as I said before, I am, I've been sober for almost 18 years and take a lot of uh, things. Many people, especially Christians, have a uh, very um, tainted um, opinion of Alcoholics Anonymous, but is truly one of the greatest gifts of the 20th century. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people have had a spiritual awakening through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it says right here, and I'm going to quote out of Alcoholics Anonymous here, Willingness is the key to open the door. That's page 12 and 14 in what they call the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more is required to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point. Upon a foundation of complete willingness, I, I might build what I saw in my friend. I would have it, of course I would. <clears throat> so if all you have to do is by faith believe what I'm saying to you today, there is an answer. And that answer is a spiritual experience. The seeds of hope are falling on you, hopefully raining down on you, so that uh, you can, as I said, live a fulfilled joyful, purposeful life. And um, I kind of want to leave you with this little thought, okay? And many of you may have heard it, but it kind of, it goes like this. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So this whole thing about reaping what you sow. Now, um, we won't get into the science right now of what um, habits do and why they are formed and how we can break those, but we will do it at a later time. Right now, I just want to get you guys to a point where you are preparing, or if you have already had, or if you already have been saved through the love of the Holy Spirit, that you will grow deeper into that relationship and eliminate some of the obstacles that you may hear that little voice in your head telling you 
You're no good. Nobody loves you. God doesn't love you. How could he love you when you did this? Remember what you did? Okay. Rid yourself of those chains of guilt and shame and your whole habits need to be killed. So you need to pick up the sword, which is the Word of God, which in Ephesians 6, when it talks about putting on the whole armor of God, okay, is the only offensive weapon. It's the Word of God. The sword is the Word of God. Jesus, in Matthew 3, when he was tempted by the devil in the desert, and the devil tried to get him to do certain things. And how did Jesus answer? He answered by quoting scripture. And even the devil tried to misrepresent what scripture had said. So it's kind of scary, you know, to think that the beast, as I like to call him, actually knows scripture and will use it against you if you don't know the truth. Imagine that. You want to fight your battles? Then you need to fight it with an understanding of God's word and what it says and how much he loves you and how much he cares for you and how much he wants you. I cannot, cannot, cannot repeat enough times. The lover of your soul is waiting for you to come home to a deeper understanding, a more fulfilling relationship. Christian or non-Christian, atheist, agnostic. Either God is or he isn't. And if he is, then get to know him deeper. That is our goal once again on this road home. And um, as I said, if you have any questions, you can contact me at david at soallifecoach.com or you can go to our website, soallifecoach.com and you can um, download the book, The Road Home, which is what our series of podcasts is based on. So, I hope you have a blessed day. And I hope you go out and shine your light into this dark world. And throw out some seeds of hope to maybe someone you know is struggling. So until you listen to our next podcast, may God's love, peace and grace abound in you on the road home to the lover of your soul.